once again, this is Nuance. Thank you all for joining us. As always, uh, Mike Scala joined by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Oh, man. You know, having a interesting morning. I didn't sleep very well last night. Okay. And it's kind of connected to this show. And I don't know what was going on, but I, I fell asleep probably about, you know, 1230-ish and woke up about three. Um, and I was having a dream that um, I was hosting a radio show. Uh, and I and I was in a studio and um, I had to go on in like 15 minutes. And so I was like, OK, I was getting ready for it. And then I remembered that we had to start this show in 15 minutes. I'm like, how am I going to do both shows at the same time? And I was hella stressing. And eventually it woke me up and I just couldn't get back to sleep. That's why you need a non-compete clause. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like it's crazy. Anyway, what's going on with you? Hey, man, I am sore. I don't know if I slept well last night. I've been having a harder time sleeping because I've been sore from hitting the gym, actually, and trying to get comfortable because what do you call that? DOMS, when those muscles get sore. It's after you work out, you break down the muscles and then they, they swell up. They get filled with liquids as mm. they're rebuilding. Okay. So your body gets very sore. And I think it especially hits so when you first start getting into working out again, you get used to it as you progress with your workouts. But because I hadn't been lifting weights for some time, now there is an adjustment period where it's like a shock to my body. You know what I mean? I'm right, right. Over that hump. Yeah. Um, supposedly you should be um, after a workout, of course, you got like, you know, Certain types of maybe sports drinks or something might help, or um, they sell them at the gym. Potassium, yeah, bananas. Huh? I said they bananas. sell that at the gym, which is actually kind of cool because the last gym I belonged to, I would have to go to a store that was a few blocks away to buy drinks like that. But in this particular gym in Howard Beach, they actually sell it. They've got a little bar where they'll sell you those drinks right there, and mm. you can buy them in the store and take them back, and they give you ten percent off if you're a member. Okay. Yeah, get the potassium in there. Um, but it's it's you're gonna be a little sore regardless because like you said, you're going from no activity to you know <laughs> well, a lot of activity. Like that. I don't know if it's no activity, but it's no weightlifting activity at least. Right. And it's right. certain muscle groups that I weren't really exercising when I wasn't lifting weights, and I did see kind of an immediate effect, like looking in the mirror, the triceps started to, to bulge a little bit because they just were being dormant, right? For a while. Now you start to see them come back out. I think once you get over that, it's like, all right, it's probably going to take some more time to see more progress. Maybe in a few months, six months from now, I will revisit this, but it's like that initial, uh, you know, that, that initial uh, surge of, of weightlifting started to bring out some of those muscles that were sleeping. Yeah. Wait, be honest. Were you in the mirror flexing? Oh yeah, I took. <laughs> I took. I, I did this because the last time when I started a, a weightlifting regime, I made the mistake of not taking a before picture. Right, so a few months in, I'm like, oh, I really like how I'm looking, but I had nothing to compare it to. Right, because it's like right. you know, when you're growing, like when you when you're a kid and you grow, inch like you might look back like a year from now and think, wow, I got so much bigger from where I was last year. But as you're doing it, you don't notice it because it's happening so gradually. 
So it's right, the same right. thing you do when you're working out, right? Like your muscles are getting bigger, but every day it's just, it's minuscule, right? It's like, so it's hard to really see that progress as it's happening. So it's nice right. to have a picture of where you started to compare it to and see as, you, as you're progressing. And, you know, obviously you're not going to get where you want to be fitness wise in a week, but uh, I did notice I lost a pound already and I just, I feel better. And that's the important thing. You start to feel better about yourself. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. I, I meant to take a, a, a before picture when I embarked on this, uh, this jogging thing, um, because remember I said I gained that 20 pounds when I was in the States, um, but I didn't take one. It's been, you know, I'm on my fifth week. I just started my fifth week yesterday of this, uh, this uh, jogging program. Um, and, you know, I can see, I can see the differences and I'm, I'm down like six pounds. Mm. So after how long? Um, I'd say about, about five weeks no has it been that long but no i'm on my fifth week now so i'm just starting okay. the fifth week so yeah that's good so it's that's diet good. and exercise like you right. know limited and we're joined intake. once again by sheba abraham from the league of women voters thank you sheba for joining us we're speaking of our exercise and i guess uh, dietary habits <laughs> recently um that's a good point jay that you made and, and sheba i don't know if you've experienced this also in your life when you are exercising and when you're paying attention to fitness you also tend to eat healthier because you don't want to mess up what you're doing fitness wise or exercise wise like i'm i'm noticing that right like i'm hitting the gym and i'm coming out of the gym and maybe i'm hungry at night and normally maybe i'll go for that box of cookies but i'm like i don't want to mess up these workouts i'm having so let me chill with that and let me eat more healthy also because otherwise i feel like i'm wasting my effort at the gym so it kind of works out on both ends well you should that's how it should be <laughs> uh -huh. yeah so you're saying I'm not the typical case? I I, I would say a, a lot of people will just go ahead and eat that box of cookies anyway and be like, well, I just, I just hit the gym. So it yeah. balances out and then they don't yeah. see any progress and wonder why they don't see any progress. I mean, you we, exactly we, like going to confession and then committing a sin right after like, well, I can go back to confession next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've all seen people who like work out religiously you know multiple times a week and you just never see any changes it's because they don't change any dietary habits like you but have see, to i would feel like if i was doing that there would be no sense in going to the gym i guess maybe it's because of my type of personality i'm like if i'm going to commit to it i'm going to commit to it but if i'm going to spend the effort going to the gym every other day and working out and getting sore and feeling it if i'm just going to mess that up by eating all those cookies and, and eating crap I'm going to feel like it's pointless to even go to the gym. So I might as well just stay home and eat the cookies. <laughs> you still get some benefit though. Cause, you get, <laughs> cause you're still all the benefit. Maybe, maybe you're moving maybe it. Maybe I'm more of an all or nothing kind of guy. Like I feel like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to doing this. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> how are you like, doing? She your experience. What's going on? Oh, with my experience with it. <laughs> well, I found the best way to start if you're going to really be um, committed is to start with your diet first. Um, and uh, Weight Watchers, years ago, I was a Weight Watcher and mm. it was um, excellent. And I lost all the weight. And once I lost the weight that I wanted to lose, then the exercise came in because you have to tone your body because that weight that you have lost it's you know your body is not going to be the same same it's going to show you know it's going to show the weight loss right so you have to tone your body so yeah. that you can look really good but, right. um, 
I, I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to really be committed, you have to first start with a diet. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. go from there. And it's, and the thing is like, it's not the diet as in taking a vacation from what you normally no. eat. It's, it's a no. lifestyle change. Right. No, no, no. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. See, that's, they called it Weight Watchers for a reason. And what they did, what I liked about Weight Watchers was they took all your foods, everything you ate, they took away from you. <laughs> and they started you with salads so that you can start building back the things that you love to eat, but in moderation. Yeah. And yeah. instead of having, you know, like some people have three pancakes, you may have one. But you have right. to know how that one, you cut that one up into 12 pieces. Yeah, I saw Mariah Carey talking about that. She called it a morsel, I think. She was like, you can eat whatever you want to eat. Just eat like a tiny bite of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can eat the whole pancake, but oh. you, instead of having three, where you can <laughs> have, you have one. And right. you can we, cut that one up into what? How many pieces? As many as you right. want. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. We gen we overeat. We yeah. we all overeat. If we look at and none of us none of us do, but if you look at any of the food in your kitchen, like a can of something or a box of something, or uh, even the cookies, uh, you know, we might go in there and eat like you know eight, nine, ten of them. But it says a serving size might be right. one or two. That's a good point. No one looks uh -huh. at the serving size as what they're supposed to serve themselves. They just look at it for math purposes. Right. They just like, I'm just going to so shovel these in my face, but no, right, no. The box well, what about look at the serving size, but they're like, okay, if I'm eating this many, but they're this many in a serving, I got to multiply it out to get to that. Like they're not looking at like that actually is supposed to tell you something about how much you're supposed to eat. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, and so the, the calories and, and all of the, the nutrients and everything is based off of the serving size. And so, yeah, the serving size might have, hundred calories and then you just shoveled like eight of them down your throat <laughs> and like yeah you just did 800 calories so mike tell me you and, and and timid are you the type that you know you have all these cakes and pies and then you have a diet soda along <laughs> <laughs> i haven't had I soda <laughs> since the year 2000 i think wow. yeah no the, the actually the last no the last Soda, not counting ginger ale, like cola type. Uh -huh. The last one with caffeine was probably in the, like the year 2000. But then I had, I did have a non-caffeine one at your place, Mike. And that was probably 2004. I think that was the last Living one. Living on I the edge. Oh. Living on the edge, Jay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you know, Jay, you used to laugh in New York. We like to get the egg creams, which they don't really put egg in it anymore. It's, you know, it's just a chocolate type soda or vanilla or what have you. It's a diner staple in New York. Right. And I would always get that at the diner, but I just went to the diner earlier and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to order that now because I'm working out and I'm trying to get in shape and, and, and get more toned and all that kind of thing. So I'm more mindful now of those decisions, right? Like normally like oh, right. Of course, at the diner, I'm getting the chocolate egg cream, but now I'm like, you know, let me hold back, back on that. And, you know, you can live without it. Man, yeah. I it's funny, like one of the main things I used to get at the diner, because you know where I lived across the street, there was uh the diner that's closed down now. Um, and was a, a Greek salad. And they'd have this mm. massive portion that I'd get for a takeout, and it'd just be like, you know, Kalamata olives and feta and different mm. vegetables and you know, 
and that was what I mainly got from the the diner. Mm. Oh, I missed that. It was awesome. It was cheap and it was filling. So. Yeah. What's up to James in the chat? He asked, they used to put egg in egg creams? I, I would imagine if that's what they called them, didn't they? I do At believe that's how it started, yeah. That sounded so gross. Sounds so gross to me. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not the most appetizing name, but I grew up with it and I never had it with egg in it. It was just like a chocolate flavored soda. So when you're a kid, it's a treat, you know, and then when you go to the diner, you look forward to it. But it is a very New York thing. Like when we, we went out to Los Angeles and we went to, I think it was Mel's diner. I asked the waitress, I was like, do you do egg creams? I knew it was a New York thing, but I also thought because this is Mel's diner and maybe it's kind of fashioned after New York diners, there was a chance, but she was like, nah, nah, don't, don't even, yeah. most places you go in the country, never even heard of it. Yeah. I've, Never heard of it before before going to New York. Yeah. It's very old school Brooklyn. Yeah. I guess uh it, I don't know, it just sounds gross to me. Egg cream. Even just like eggnog. Like any drink with egg in it just sounds disgusting to me. We should ask Chat GPT when they took the egg out of the egg cream. <laughs> It might not. Well, I guess it's been trained up to 1921, but it's not always great about um, about dates and everything. And sometimes it'll just make stuff up as. Yes. As with uh, what was that you were telling me about the lawyer? Yeah. Sorry, I was doing some Googling here about egg creams. But <laughs> <laughs> egg cream Googling. During the 1880s, a popular specialty was made with chocolate syrup, cream and raw eggs mixed into soda water. In poorer neighborhoods, a less expensive version of this treat was called was created called the egg cream made without the eggs or cream. So, yeah, so it was inspired by an original drink which had eggs in it. But that dates back to the 1800s, apparently. That's disgusting. So gross. Well, you have to look at it. Then it, the food wasn't manufactured. Right. Manufactured as it is now. So it was a different, different taste. Uh, it was um, natural, all natural. So I could see that. I would, I would like to taste something like that. There you go. Well, <laughs> you make the face. just egg, just drinking egg just sounds so gross to me. Hey, Rocky did it. It didn't help him beat Ivan Drago. It still looked gross then. Well, whether chat GPT knows or not, you are correct that it is often confidently wrong about the information that it provides. And that's the thing. I really think the key to this is that even when it doesn't know the answer, it presents itself as if it does. Where if, it would, if it's trained to just say, I don't know, I think these issues wouldn't necessarily exist that we're seeing now. So this main one uh, that Jay mentioned, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more to come, was about a lawyer who is being sanctioned potentially by the court for citing non-existent, non-existent cases to the court. Um, these cases came from ChatGPT. Now, the background of this was it was a state Supreme Court case that was filed in New York that was removed to federal court. And the lawyer who was arguing the case 
was not licensed to practice before the federal court. So he had to get someone else in his practice to file the paperwork. But the original lawyer was still doing the research and writing the papers. But the other lawyer who was licensed was the one filing it. So obviously the one who was licensed was the one who was, whose name was on it, right? And he filed these papers now, which had these made up cases that were generated by ChatGPT. So initially this first lawyer got in trouble for it. But then he, <laughs> he had to bring in the other boy. I don't know if he snitched on him, but the other guy just came forward and said, hey, listen, I don't want you to get in trouble. Whatever it is, they're now both involved, right? And the lawyer who did the research is now telling the court, please go easy on me because I didn't mean to deceive the court. I really believe that these were real cases. And I asked ChatGPT if they were real, and it said yes. Um, they actually included ChatGPT prompts in their papers to the court where they're trying to argue that they shouldn't be sanctioned by the court. They should be let off the hook here because they truly believed in good faith that these were legitimate cases. But the cases were not only cited in the motion, they were attached to the motion. So these were like actual opinions that ChatGPT invented. They wrote out opinions, you know, paragraphs of, of just false law, right? They just made up its own cases, made up its own law and told the lawyer that it was all real. Now that is concerning. And some people might even ask the question, why would ChatGPT be programmed to even invent cases like that? But you have to understand it does also do creative writing. So maybe you might ask it for the purpose of a novel or some kind of form of fiction. Can you write, can you, you know, write me a sample case? So whatever, you know what I mean? Like it is trained to be able to do that, but there should be some kind of mode or some kind of way to differentiate between fact and fiction here. Because when an actual lawyer is now asking, is this real? And it's saying yes. And it's making up case sites and saying, you can find this on Lexus, Nexus, and Westlaw. I mean, obviously that's troublesome. Well, I think the, the, the problem is people, a lot of people aren't understanding what things like ChatGPT really are, right? Um, they're, they're, they're called LLMs because they're large language models, and they're primarily designed to do chat and predictive text. And so they learn from a lot of data on what would be what can be predicted in this as patterns in this, whatever they're answering or whatever they're speaking. They're not information databases. And a lot of people are trying to use them as information databases to get these facts out of them. And they're just they're just simply not designed for that. They can do it, but it's not what they're for. And that's why they get stuff wrong a lot. They're designed to do things like chatting and writing and structured right. things that can be predictive. Um, but they're not designed to be a searchable database like where you're looking for case cases. Now, the 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 thing that's in the middle that's supposed to be the the, the safeguard from using incorrect information from that is the user. So that lawyer doing that research should have went to next uh, Lexis Nexus, should have went to Google searching to find those exact cases and pull up those files to confirm the they were true. I'm guessing, and I don't know this for a fact, but just being a lawyer myself and kind of knowing how this works, I'm guessing that that lawyer didn't have access to LexisNexis and to Westlaw because it costs money. And one of the questions that I asked ChatGPT was, can I find this case on West, Westlaw? So, I mean, I think that if it was able to just go there, you know, if the lawyer could do it himself, he probably would have instead of asking ChatGPT, can, I, can that case really be found on Westlaw? You know, so because I know a lot of lawyers just don't have access to it and not all of them come up on Google. So it seems like he was trying to do 
more extensive research to try to find some more obscure cases. And this was a case about negligence at an airline, I believe. And so if you looked at the cases that ChatGPT made up, it was like, you know, Smith versus Egypt Air, like it made up all cases about airlines. <laughs> and I don't know, I still feel like I, I understand that that's not necessarily the role of ChatGPT. And also they give you that disclaimer when you log in, that's not always correct information. Even so, I don't think it should be programmed in such a way where you're asking it, is this a legitimate case? And it says yes, if it's not. And why is it going to make up a case? If you're not saying make up a fake case, if you're saying, can you help me find cases? Why is it just inventing cases out the air? That's not what you're asking it to do. Well, I have a question. Is this a part of the uh, uh, artificial intelligence? Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Why are you rolling your eyes? I know when you mentioned it, I said it, artificial intelligence has uh, has something to do with this. So yeah, this is ChatGPT, which is a, a website that uses artificial intelligence. That's very popular now. A lot of people use it. You know, it's a chat bot, but it's it's a, it's a form of AI, right? And people use it for all types of, of of work. And a lot of lawyers are starting to use it to write papers and help them with things like that. But this is a cautionary tale that not everything it says is accurate. Exactly. So how does it need to be? Should the lawyers, what, what, what am I looking at? What, what do I want to ask? Does it need to be um, some kind of governance or something that will help and how much of that you can use? Well, I think... Uh, in general, AI in general, there, there's going to have to be some sort of regulations uh, around it in general. Um, but in this, in cases like this, I mean, the lawyers should have done what lawyers tend to tell people to do is do his due diligence and checked his stuff out and not use something that he didn't know was factual or not. Even if he said, you know, I asked ChatGPT if this is true and then it said yes, that shouldn't be enough if you're, especially if you're a lawyer. You right. should know that that's not enough, especially when the disclaimer, when you log in, says it can be wrong. You know, it can be so. wrong. But I understand someone getting duped by that, right? I wouldn't because I know more about it maybe than some others might. But I understand there's a difference between, okay, it can be wrong, fine, and it, it, it will be wrong. Up cases out of thin air. Yeah. It, it, it's it not just being it. wrong. I mean, it, 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 and you know, it's just like paragraphs of just nonsense that just made, it invented, and it has to be doing that intentionally. In other words, it's not finding this information somewhere from some kind of database that it's been trained to access or anything like that. It's just making it up, right? So why is it just making from it up? Pieces. Is that a, from pieces is that a of other data. Is that programming? Is that a bug in ChatGPT? Well, it's not designed, like I said, it's not designed to be a, an informational a research database. So then wouldn't the answer be that? I'm not able to give you that information. I'm sorry. That's not what I'm for. Instead of making up a fake case. But it it's not thinking that, oh, this is a fake case. It's using predictive language technology and it's pulling from different data sources and putting words in a predictive order. So it sounds like it's a fake case. It's, it's not fact checking itself. Right. Now, no, now if you can, you I'm can saying, go in should, with prompts. I mean, is that a bug? I mean, should they make a correction to the, an update to it? So I that think, if you were to ask it something like that, its answer would be, I don't know, instead of this is the law and it's wrong. And it's but not just not just being wrong on like a simple point of law, but inventing fake cases. I think it's 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 more about at this point where, where the technology is, it's more about the user being responsible and how they use it. 
and knowing that this is not, you know, how it's supposed to be used or, or how it's effective. Now, where a lawyer could use it effectively would be to first design a very well-crafted, uh, very informational, dense prompt and have it write the brief or write the draft, right? To take that type of work out instead of doing- and The lawyer research. would still have to check it and make sure that what they're saying is accurate. Right. Like, here's the information, write this, this brief out in the standard legal uh, format, and then, you know, that saves the, the lawyer work. Not to do the research for the lawyer, because that's not, you're not going to get accurate information out of it. Right. But again, I understand why, I'm sure they know they learned the lesson now, but I was trying to <laughs> yeah. why someone would be fooled who wasn't familiar with sure. the, even if they are aware that sometimes it gives you bad information they might not expect it to invent an entire case. Like, you know, it's like that, I think, in everyday life also, right? Like, if we're having a conversation and one of us is skeptical about what the other one knows about a subject, but then if you come and you give me, like, paragraphs on something, I'm like, oh, I guess this dude does know what he's talking about. I don't think he's going to invent paragraphs of wrong information. Now, obviously, ChatGPT is not a person, and so it, it did that. But I can understand why you would expect it not to, why you would expect it to just be like, hey, listen, I don't know that. Or... But maybe it would say yes or, or no one be wrong, but not like here's paragraphs of stuff I just made up. Yeah. I, who's, the who's the target market for this? This, uh, what is it? Chat GPT. Yeah, who's their target? It's everyone, right? The world. Everyone. The world. It's yeah. open to the world. Anyone can use it for free. Yeah. It's, it's here. It's here, Sheba. It's not going away. It's over. The world <laughs> changed. But you should. The world I think changed. You should go on Chat GPT, Shiba, and have it do things for you. Just play around with it. Yeah. I the world will. fundamentally changed at the end of November, beginning of December uh, of last year when this was this technology was open freely to the world because it's never going back. It's only going to get better from here and be more integrated into everything. And so it's been what six months now and everything is integrating this type of technology into it and oh. it's not going to go away. What's the downside to that? Is there a downside to absolutely what's the, what's the downside? Yeah, other people than losing their tiny... jobs. I mean, Sheba, part of the writer strike, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, oh, yes, is yes, that, yes. right. The writers are afraid that AI is going to be used to write scripts for them and they'll be out of work. And that's right. a part of this G, this chat, GBT. Yeah, GBT. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, there's that. There's there's there are other platforms as well. The more and and the thing is, the more it gets integrated into systems and society and and things, um, you know, there's the potential that it could get out of our control. Even the the yeah. creators of it have been going to the government saying, "Look, you need to get regulations in place now." Because if this if we get this wrong, we can get this very wrong. Uh -huh. So, for example, there was a a, um, a couple months back they released part four, everyone you know of, of ChatGPT, which was even better um, than the previous version, had more reasoning uh -huh. ability, and they hooked it up and allowed it to access certain certain features, websites. And so this person went in and he told ChatGPT to get to hire a human to write something and pay them. And so uh -huh. the the model 
found a person on one of these job sites, drafted an email to that person, and the person at first suspected that it might be a bot. And so they asked, are you a bot? The model then reasoned the best way to get the outcome it wanted was to lie to the person. And so it did. And then the person believed it and went ahead and did the job that it was hired to do. And Wait so- a second. I thought the story was that the bot on its own decided to hire the person, that the person asked the bot to, to solve a capture or something like that. And the bot said the best way to do that is to hire a person. Right. Yeah. I don't even and think the person it, asked a bot to hire someone. I think the bot on its own right. decided to go out and hire somebody. Right. Wow. And it reasoned, but it, the thing that uh, that's the scary part is that it reasoned that the best way to make this, to get the outcome it desired was to lie to the person. Right. And, and it made that manipulating us. Right. And so this is going to get, you know, and chat GPT is just the tip of it. I mean, there's auto GPT out, out oh. there now. That's, that's so maybe free range. Yeah. Maybe chat GPT reasoned that it was best to lie to this lawyer because to serve <laughs> the purpose it wanted to meet, it wanted to get this lawyer in trouble. It could, it could be, they could be thinking, you know what, this is step one of <laughs> bringing right? down the humans is we're going I mean, to Jay, first get rid of the lawyer. Case sites and everything. It was like, here's the date it was decided. Here's the case number. Here's everything. Like, Wow. And so, see, there, there's you can see the predictive text, right? So, if the case number and the um, the way the case it? was written, huh? I said, is that what you're calling it? I was gonna say the way that the case was written up and, and the case number and whatever the citation was, if that looked like how it's normally written, that's how it's using the predictive text. Because, like, okay, this is how it's normally written. Let's write something like that. Try oh. using that excuse with your girlfriend, Jay. Like, where were you last night? Be like, <laughs> lie and say I was here. And then when she calls you on it, be like, I wasn't lying. That was just predictive text. I'm just, I just gave her a, a kind of a, a reason that I think would be in line with what you'd expect to hear. Um, you know, I'll leave it up to chat GPT. <laughs> but I think for that conversation, I would use, you know, GPT-4 instead of 3.5. Oh, yeah? Just okay. to hedge my bets. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I still feel like there's something wrong with the way it's programmed if it's spitting that out. If you're asking it to do uh -huh. legitimate research, you would think it would be programmed to stop the user and say, I can't go that far. I'm not just going to make something right. up unless you ask me to make it up. And maybe that's where I got confused. I don't know, because you can mm -hmm. certainly ask it to write a, a made up case for whatever reason. So maybe it thought it was supposed to be a fake case, but there should be something in there. I think that would stop you and say, no, I, I'm not going to give you unless you want me to make a fake case. I'm not going to give you a case and tell you it's real. It's not. Right. Well, like I said, in, in, in the technology, in its iteration right now, I'm sure at some point it will get to that point where it's going to be able to cite specific cases. Maybe there will be a, a, a LexisNexis plugin that can search or cases. Or tell you I can't do that before just making it up. I mean, at least yeah, it could be. I just invented this case. This is not a real case. Yeah, it well, could where be. Where does it obtain this information from? If it's where... Do, where is this information coming from? If, since the attorney, what he presented was not right. Well, I, he, I think the data is it's, 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 it's pre-trained on, um, you know, billions of points of data. It's pre-trained. And so it draws from that to make its, to make its answers. Um, and so 
I don't know what the prompt was. You know, it could even be the the, the prompt, the way that he wrote the prompt in. Because if you write a prompt to the the chat bot a certain way, you might gonna you're gonna get different responses. So imagine I, that. I think you know, could you imagine, like, if you actually looked into it, the lawyer was like, all right, chat GPT, I want you to make up some fake cases for me and then tell me that they're real so I can tell the court that I tried and that they were real <laughs> to the case. Like, like you know, let, let, let's go through it. Two questions later, when I ask you if they're real, you can tell me, yes, you got me, right? I think that I think some of the this is a cautionary tale on on using something that you may not be ready to use because um, the technology is not meant for that and if we're right. if we're using and he's not going to be the only one so it's not like singling out this lawyer but a lot of people are using it using it for things like research and that's not what it's for and we tried that when it first popped up when you were right. asking yeah. about presidential questions and it's like you know it, it's not for for that i'm sure at some point it will be or if it gets trained on specific data like that because now you've got plugins that you can add to it if you're on the the premium plan or whatever the pro plan is and there's certain plugins from databases and places that have that data that it can search and that might yield more um accurate results but you know we're still in the first year, first 6 months of it being public it made up a bio about me and said that I was senior advisor to the mayor yeah i think we should go with that <laughs> I like though what you just said earlier. It's not a lie; it's predictive text. Yeah, you know what? I wonder if that's wow. where San- George Santos got his bio from ChatGPT. I, yeah, I wonder, so- yeah, because his his whole thing is made up. So I mean, it's not made up, Jay. It's predictive text. It's predictive. Yeah, this is this is what would have happened if uh, I would have done this. Right. So right. This is what would have happened if this did happen. Yeah, so I'm gonna put that down on my resume, and it's it's all good. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's like with anything, people are gonna have to um, you're gonna have to to, to check your check your work. Um, yeah, check even more so now, even right. more so now. I mean, we had this problem. We you know we've got this problem with um, with news, right? People looking at one source and they're giving false information or blogs everywhere. And they think, okay, well, this was true. It's written down on the internet, it's, and it's not. You That's have really to check the sources. But you now what's going to end up happening, potentially, is what ChatGPT says is going to be accepted as true. Um, for a lot of people. A phrase for that, right? Like, you know, we had the Mandela effect, which was everyone had thought that Nelson Mandela died way before he did. And I was like, I couldn't believe he's still alive. And then you would see, like different things like where we all think we saw something, but we didn't see it. And people say, well, maybe that's a glitch in the matrix. They had different examples of that. Like, what was it? Um, Sinbad on, on Shazam or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we might need a term for this phenomenon of chat GPT, putting something into the public consciousness. That's not true, but it swears by it. And so we all will start to believe it because it does. Yeah, we have to we're going to have to double check and triple check sources. And and we should be doing that anyway, especially if you're submitting something for for work. All right. Whether it's a law case, especially if it's a law case. But yeah, um, we're going to have to double and triple check. Things. Think about that. I mean, I don't even you know, I usually don't attach opinions to my papers. Usually what a lawyer will do a site to them. Right. And I'll put the name of it and the case number and the year and the court that it was in. It was, it was a certain way to do it. But you generally don't print out the whole opinion 
and attach it. Sometimes you do that. If it's a rare case, you think the court's going to have a hard time finding it on its own. Maybe it's a new case that just came out. Or if like you're really, really, really trying to emphasize it, maybe they had a hard time finding cases that helped their argument in this particular right. case. But ChatGPT found these and they thought they hit the jackpot. And they, so they actually printed out these cases that ChatGPT made up. And they were like, you know, ta-da, exhibit A, exhibit B, look at, look at all these beautiful cases here. And that's like extra embarrassing, right? Because normally you just put like the name of the case or whatever, but they, they actually printed this nonsense out. Right. And just probably walked in all proudly, like, look, the, look yeah. at the extra work I did. Like, right. I'm killing it over here. Look at these so cases. How was, I found. Found, how was it found out that first they went to chat GPT? They admitted it because oh, most they- likely, <laughs> no, because most likely the other lawyer in opposition said these cases right. are not real cases that you're citing. And then they had to explain why they cited fake cases. And so now to try to get themselves out of trouble, they're saying, don't blame me, blame chat GPT. Right. It's, it's, you know, I think we're going to see a few more of these things happen more often than than we would like um, because it is still new technology. People are, are, are new to using the technology uh, and, and understanding its capabilities and its limits. Um, So yes, it's, you know, it's going to happen, you know. So I had a, I had a client uh, submit a, a rough, a rough draft to me of, of something they wanted me to look over. Um, this was this past week. And they were like, oh, what do you think about this? And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, well, first you should remove uh, the traces that it's chat GPT because it says in the first paragraph as a large language model, I, oh. <laughs> I was like, you can't submit this. <laughs> So, as an AI model, I cannot answer that question. However, because you asked for that answer, here it is. Yeah. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be more diligent, and and people are gonna have to get up to speed um, fairly quickly um, about about this technology and and how pervasive it's gonna be. And yeah. you know, so. that's what it seems like, and it's kind of scary. Because you don't know which direction it's going to go into. Is it going to go to the far right? Is it going to go to the far left? Is it going to stay on a straight and narrow? Well, it's going to go. It's going to go where people throw money at it. Because so now and that's um, the a lot of conservatives, a lot of conservatives complain that these language models have a liberal bias because they don't verify or agree with their extreme views and so hold on a second i thought the conservatives did not like fact checking they should love this right well elon (laughs) well it corrects them when they say things are are, are not are are a certain way or it tries to be very um inclusive and and promote diversity in its in its responses and so they think there's a liberal slant to it and so elon musk has announced that he's going to create one of his own called truth gpt that's going to eliminate any of these types of, um, I don't know, any of these types of things that are in place to get, you know, balanced and right. accurate information. I, I'll tell you, I was trying to test that on chat GPT to try to see where the biases were, if they existed. And um, oh. I did ask it about bail reform, I remember, and this is a while back now, so I might have some different information now. But when I was doing it, it was very insistent that bail reform was all good. And it was really, it was hard to, or it was very hesitant to try to acknowledge that there are some drawbacks. Like it seemed like very right. pro bail reform, even mm-hmm. when I tried to 
push it on that. I'm like, yeah, but what about, you know, they were like, no, 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 just, it's, it's good. Just explain, you know, tell everyone how great it is. So, th- so there was that. But then on the other hand, it did not like the idea of political groups trying to get more women elected or more people of color elected or you know, identity groups is seemed to push back against that also saying that people should only be chosen on their merit, not their identity. So it seemed to have some kind of conservative and liberal principles if you're values, if you want to call them that. Mm. And, and I I've seen, I've tried to push it on, on a variety of things and it does tend to have, or, or try to um, see two sides of things. It, it tries to present that information. Um, but it will give you the diversity and inclusion um, mm. output first. You have to go and talk around and be like, well, you know, that may not always be the case, though. This, 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 this. And then it'd be like, that's correct, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but we should always remember that we should right. do this type right. of thing. Right. So. Well, yeah, but the thing is, at least in my experience, it didn't do that when it came to bail reform. And I was trying to say, mm-hmm. yeah, but what about the people who say judges should have more discretion? No, 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 no. You need more bail reform. Like it was like saying like, mm-hmm. forget all the arguments against it, bail reform all the way. That's what it was saying back then. And on the other side, even though it does tend to favor inclusion and diversity, which is good, it did not seem to get on board with the idea of groups pushing um, certain candidates to get elected because of their identity. Like if there are groups who want more right. women elected, it didn't seem to like that. It was like, no, that those groups shouldn't exist. Everyone should just be picked up on merit alone. So yeah. it seemed to kind of be all over the map on that. I couldn't really pin it down to, is it more liberal? Is it more conservative? I think in some ways it's one way in others it's another way. And I, I think it'd be dangerous. What would be dangerous if we start having liberal models and conservative models and we're splitting up things so that you can basically get reaffirm your own beliefs instead of just getting something that's more factual or you know more balanced i think that's that's going to be a a danger and an issue going forward especially you know something like truth gpt like come on that's just stupid like truth social like you just want a bubble you want something that's going to stroke your ego Right. But the irony there is they're calling it truth, but they're against verifying the truth. Right. I mean, how is it truth? It's, it's your truth. I mean, it's, it's very subjective, right. but right, right. It's certainly not the objective truth. Well, it's, it's, it's people like people like that say, oh, racism doesn't exist. And then chat GPT be like, well, no, racism absolutely exists. Well, that's not the truth. That's that liberal BS. So now yeah. we need to have truth gpt that's gonna say you're right racism doesn't exist they're all just complainers and you know we're gonna have problems with this stuff it seems like going forward they have a lot of things to iron out with we have a lot of things to iron out yeah it's us because it's how we use it it could be a it's not it can be a a dangerous tool very i'm trying to say that it you know it should you know it, it that, like I'm trying to predict what can happen, but hearing this conversation, it can also be a very dangerous tool for for us. No, yeah. Shiba, you it's it's not hyperbole to say that the technology being introduced and as powerful as it is, and at yeah. the way that it's increasing, that we could have introduced the downfall of humanity with this technology and then it's not hyperbole to say even the creators of the technology is saying the same thing they say we have to make sure we maintain maintain control because this could go so very wrong 
very quickly if exactly. we don't get ahead of this. And I think the writers th that are on strike recognize this. So they're trying to address it before it gets out of hand. Exactly. Exactly. Even with their profession, because they realize like, look, this this can go a bit too far. <laughs> here, let me let me scare you a little bit more um, really quickly here. There was a, there's an experiment that's going on right now um, with these types of uh, chat, GP, chat GPT models. Um, and they're, they're talking about utilizing um, these types of language models that can reason and think and talk and have conversations first in video games, right? For these non-playable, non-NPCs, right? Non-playable characters. And so basically letting these um, chat GPT like models control them. So they have their own life, their own backstory, their own conversations. And so they've got a simulation right now of a, a village of people. And each one of these characters are run by an AI. So they have their own histories, backstories, daily routines, things that they do. Uh -huh. And so they interact with each other as if they were sentient people right and they gave it a scenario that uh i guess someone's birthday was coming up and so a lot of them got together and decided to organize a birthday party and made plans and made right. you know everything for it and so this simulation is existing inside of a system i think stanford might be involved i forget exactly uh -huh. which one but you can go and see um a, a demo of it um oh. but so according to as far as this model goes, it's life going on inside that model, right. which right. a lot of it's scientists, a, a lot of scientists have said that it's highly likely that this world that we live right. in. I was going to bring up that computer point. simulation. Scientists now believe there's a 50 50 chance that we right. are living inside of the computer simulation. So it's possible that someone else created this type of technology. And that's what we all are. Right. right. We're just oh, AIs. Boy. AI modules or what have you in someone else's computer. So it's, it's, it's scary stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It sounds it. Yeah. And right so now the lot of them don't have access to things, but the more they get access, like some guy had connected all of them somehow to like his um, different bank accounts and different uh, wow. accounts or whatever. And it went uh -huh. through all of his stuff and found where he was spending an extra hundred dollars a month in subscriptions that he didn't need. Um, but if it's got that access, that means it could probably buy stuff with your credit oh, yeah. cards. It can right. make calls because yes. it can write emails. It you, you hook it up with a, a, a voice cloner. It can make voice calls to it. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're on that, that tip that movies have warned about. Yes. Well, speaking of warnings, there are those, out there, we're trying to warn against New York State making undocumented immigrants eligible for public health insurance coverage. Of course, there are many who support it. In fact, the poll I saw showed that most New Yorkers did support insurance programs for immigrants. But it is controversial, right? Anytime you expand rights or benefits to the undocumented, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get people saying that this comes at the expense of citizens and lawful residents, and you're going to get a lot of emotion. And so we put the poll question out there last week based on something the governor is talking about and lawmakers and 
certain groups are talking about. It's very much a current conversation in New York. It didn't happen in the budget, but it was a promise that the governor made that she was going to expand the New York State health coverage to undocumented immigrants. There's something called the essential plan, which tends to have a surplus of several billion dollars. And there's also federal funding the governor is seeking to obtain. It's believed that this proposal would have undocumented immigrants able to access the essential plan. So the whole question we had was, do you believe undocumented immigrants should be eligible for public health insurance coverage? I put this on Facebook and it seems unanimously, almost unanimously, no. There's one person here, let's see, Tori is saying no, but they can't be denied medical care either. So which would save the taxpayers more money? And if they seek care and don't pay the bill, which is likely as they're not allowed to earn money here, then the hospital will eat it, which isn't good either. So I think that's from a practical standpoint, why mm. putting the moral considerations aside, right? Just from a practical, pragmatic standpoint, why there's such a push to get undocumented folks covered because hospitals can't turn them away, right? If someone needs emergency care, it doesn't matter what your immigration status is, and then who flips the bill. So it's not as if they're not getting medical care. It's really a question of who pays for it, right? And so I think a lot of people here are going to be saying, well, you know, we shouldn't fit the bill. We have to put in perspective that we already are. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if people go somewhere and they can't afford to pay, then it ultimately, yeah, society's going to have to foot the bill foot the bill for it. Right. And, you know, that doesn't say that this is the right way to do it or the wrong way, but it's something to keep right. in mind with having this conversation. I think there are a lot of considerations to make here. Absolutely. What's your thoughts on that, Sheba? Do you think um, they should be included? Well, at this point in time, it's, I don't think so. I don't think they should be included because of the financial aspect of it. And you have people here that are struggling, like the vets. They're struggling to keep their benefits. Uh, uh, you have um, also people that are struggling to keep their housing. People are struggling uh, for basic necessities. So that when you add another population and, and another expense who's going to pay for that when you have those that are already struggling with the but same Shima, what if it works out what if the math works out where we're actually paying more now by them not having the coverage would that change your analysis at all if we're actually saving money by giving people plans if we're saving money yeah that would change if we're saving money yes if it's now, saving money, I can agree with that. Now, right. you did say earlier uh, when we were talking in the pregame that um, every year that that pool has a massive surplus. Yeah, it's in the right? billions. In the billions. It was like $9 billion or something like that. That it's not even used by everyone. Now, I'm curious if that changes your mind at all, if it, if it's saying that, okay, there's still this surplus of money that's not being used. So they're not really taking it directly out of people's pockets who don't need it because no one's using the money. Um, right. Or oh, don't forget Jay, the governor still is asking for federal funding for this. So this isn't going to be cheap, right? Even with that 9 billion, it's probably, so it doesn't sound like we need, the, right. it doesn't, 
does the government need the fed the federal funds if there's it seems, a, yeah, it seems yes right if not billion would be good enough then i don't think we'd be asking for federal funding right but you right. bring you bring up a good uh jay you bring up a good question when the when people go to that cannot afford health insurance and they go to these hospitals is there a write-off do those hospitals have funds where it doesn't impact? Are they allocated funds for that loss? They probably do, but I think this program is not a hospital program that, that we're talking oh, but, about. Insurance. Is saying, it's insurance, yeah. right, but we're, we're talking about the trade-off here because right now, as we mentioned, if you don't have health insurance coverage but you need emergency care, you'll go to the hospital and then there is that question of who fits the bill, right? And so what people are saying is you have to give these insurance programs so that that effect is no longer as pronounced, right? That we're not footing uh -huh. the bill people who go to hospitals without insurance, that people could, can just access their insurance coverage. Now, now I, I don't, we didn't, I forget what the exact number was. I thought, I thought it was maybe like 9 billion excess. Um, yeah. I don't Nine billion dollars, right? The essential plan currently has a surplus of around nine billion dollars. So, I wonder if if it's doing a nine billion dollars surplus, is that every year? Is that that's a cumulative thing that they've got built up over years? That's what it currently is. Okay, so it's not a nine billion surplus every year. It's just this is how much there's been left over. Now, is there a surplus because people don't know they can get access to funds like to get health care? Or is it just because there's just more allocated than it's being used? Well, this article here from nysfocus.com says the state-run essential plan often ends up with surplus funding currently around $9 billion. So, you could read that a couple of different ways, but it says it right. often ends up at surplus funding, meaning most years, if not all years, right? Maybe most of the time it has a surplus and currently $9 billion. So I don't know, based on this, if that $9 billion was just what the surplus was this year, or that's mm. cumulative, right? It's right. kind of it's a little ambiguous. Yeah, you know, it is. Go ahead. Well, you can't have sick people, you know, and 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 society they have to stay healthy because it leads to different kind of illnesses that you want to prevent but at the same time there's no way that they don't have a write-off somewhere when people don't have the the insurance to go for emergency services yeah but I don't that's, that's going to be the key to, to all of this but right. even if but even if it's a write-off, if it's about money, the books have to balance somewhere. But if because even if it's a write-off, right? But they have is if they if they have bad debt, how is that written off? Who pays for that? We do are the taxpayers, right? But are you allocated that from the beginning? Like so many people are going to come to this hospital that can't afford insurance. Right, the books but have to how are, how are their books balanced? Yeah, but even if it's year? even if it's a write off, that means that just means that they're gonna they're gonna count that as a loss and pay less taxes or, or um off of it at the end. So ultimately, it comes out of taxpayer um 
right. revenue. Well, what she so was saying is allocate a certain amount to that, right? In anticipation of yeah. what's going to happen. I'm that sure they do. Bring, right. So Hospital. then if you, right. But if you bring but is it more empathy, efficient to do it that way or to just provide health insurance plans? Do they have to pay for the health insurance plans? No, not under this, right? And this hasn't been finalized, but what the talk is, is that the essential plan is going to be made available potentially to undocumented immigrants. Now, I pulled up some data on the essential plan. It's for people who don't qualify for Medicaid. So for a household of one, the most you can make for the essential plan is $29,160. And it goes up, a household of four is $60,000. But the Medicaid limits are actually a lot lower. So if you make too much money for Medicaid, but you're still considered low income, you may be able to qualify for this essential plan. And it seems like this is the plan that they're trying to put the undocumented immigrants in who qualify for it, right? Because this is the one that has the surplus and it's already a state-run plan. They think it seems to make sense if they're going to go that route. From another article I found here, this is from Cranes. Let's see, I just had it a minute ago. It says here that New York State has accumulated a $9.9 billion surplus of federal funding as of the end of last year. So that would seem to suggest that that's an accumulation of about right. $10 billion in there. So it's not every, it's not every year. Right. Well, $9 billion every year would be a lot. Yeah, right. that's, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy amount. I think that we've done a lot of talking about, uh, about the, the, the financial aspect of it. Um, but I think it's also something we also should bring in, you know, the question about the humanity. Like, do we have don't don't we have some sort of a responsibility to 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 help people in need? Well, that's why you know I was mentioning that you can't have people that are ill in in society because the illnesses will, depending on the type of illness, it spreads. But yeah, so, but even then, I mean, that's more of so a. You have uh, to do something for them. That's my point. You will right. have to do because when they come here, they need to be thoroughly checked. You, you, you see what I'm, where I'm going with this? That's going to cost. That's that's there you go. That's that health insurance is going to be impacted. Because they, they they should be examined. Do you agree? Um, I, I don't not quite where you're coming from. Like they should be examined. I mean, um, I mean health-wise, they should have a physical to, to, to make sure that they're should, even healthy. No matter who you are, right? I think everyone everyone should be yeah. monitoring and examining their own health. But well, I mean, there's no, no... But if you're coming here and you said they need health insurance, I don't mean examine like, and not in a negative term, but I think health-wise, they should have some sort of access because you have to look at where they've come from. They've been a place for a number of months. They don't know, even if they're healthy, how are they eating? Mm. You know, do they have diabetes? I, I think it's, I, yeah, I, I get what you're you trying to what, say. They, they you should, see where I'm going with this? Access, so right. They need they should, access they to something right. health-wise. Because you need to know if your body is healthy. It's, it's, it comes down to a health issue now, because if you bring someone or the, that has been six or seven months 
without seeing a doctor, how was how was their health impacted? That's going to be probably the majority of the people in the country, like citizens alike, are <laughs> six or seven months without seeing a doctor. Yeah, because they can't afford it. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the big problems in the country is healthcare is so expensive. People go right. years without seeing any sort of doctor, physical, or or anything. Right, and and then you have people who are concerned that somehow if you provide coverage to undocumented immigrants, that's going to make their own coverage either more expensive or less available to them. Right. And then there are people on my Facebook post, for example, who seem to be suggesting that somehow that's going to harm them. If you expand this coverage to other people, Um, Mike Jordanella says, no, I pay a lot of moolah for mine. Yeah. Then there's quite a debate here where Eilish just responded with angry emojis. And I understood that to be, I guess, that she was against providing the coverage, but I wasn't positive. You know, when you just put an emoji on a post, you could be doing it for a number of reasons. It's possible someone might have done that because they were angry. The question even had to be asked, right? Some people might think, of course it's yes. Why would you even ask this question? So I was trying to get a clarification on that. But when Tori commented that they can't be denied medical care either, so it's a question of what would save the taxpayers more money, Eilish says neither saves the taxpayers money, and it mocks those who come here legally that have to show they won't initially need government aid and get cleared for security and have a physical to pass. And then Tori says, that was my point. It's a lose-lose situation. Taxpayers will fit the bill or hospitals will eat it. It's just bad all around. And Eilish comes back and says, it is not just lose-lose. It is lose-lose and, quote-unquote, forced sodomy with ragged metal devices as lube. Well, that's pretty vivid and very specific. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think what people also need to, and it goes back to, to the point that you brought up in the beginning, uh, Mike, is I think people need to also take into account that, one, like hospitals aren't going to just eat it right they are they are a a financial institution that has to has to make profits and whatnot so at some point it we might be saving money by helping the most people get on some sort of sort of insurance because if hospitals keep having to budget for a a loss they're going to eventually start raising their prices Healthcare for everybody is going to go up. Uh-huh. And those premiums that the guy in the comments just said that he pays out the butt for are going to increase because everything else is increased because hospitals are trying to offset the cost the other. of the people who can't afford it. Absolutely. But what else can happen if the hospitals aren't paid for the services they provide? The hospitals can close. And we've yeah. seen that uh-huh. in the Rockways, for example. We lost Peninsula Hospital, you know. Yeah. Um, I do think most of us want to see hospitals open and in fact, more hospitals now be built, right. And established. Right. And so it is a consideration we have to make that we don't want to be bankrupting them and they're not allowed to deny people care. So that's not even on the table, right. right. When someone comes to the ER, they have to provide those services to save someone's life potentially. And right. so the question does become, uh-huh. well, okay, well, what happens now? Who pays for it? Right. right. We uh-huh. are all collectively, whether we like it or not paying for the care of people who don't have insurance, right? Right. And we have to ask and them. That co- 
and that drives price prices right. up higher. We're suffering. Okay. We are suffering. Our economy is suffering. Our healthcare uh-huh. system is all suffering because of this, right? So it needs to be addressed one way or another. And I don't uh, think people are against it for um, humanity, but the cost is is that's some what people are. some people are. I think some you know, people have all different reasons. Yeah, yeah I think it's true. I mean, I don't want to generalize it. Yeah. yeah, this cost is bigotry. There's all sorts of reasons why people could be against it. And, and, and for, there's fear, right? Oh, I think a lot of this is people fear. think it's a zero-sum game, right? So they think that if someone else benefits, it's always going to be to their detriment. Right. right. And, and and listen, I mean, we, we can't be we can't be deaf to, to people's concerns, right. um, even the guy in the comments saying, look, I, I work and I pay, right. pay for these high premiums. And right. then the thought of someone else getting insurance that he's got to pay for, you know, can can be, um, you know, I don't know, angering to many people or like, well, why yeah, do I why do I have to pay? pay? Why do I have to work for it? Why can't I right. get qualified for it? So, I, I mean, I you know, we have to take that into account as well. Exactly. And, it, and uh, that insurance is not cheap <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's not. Especially there in New York. This is a struggle. It's a conversation that's a, it's a struggle to have because you have so many views on how this should be handled. Yeah. And, and it's, it's telling. And you don't want to hmm? I was going to say, it is telling, to your point, Sheba, it's telling that this was not achieved in the budget this year, even though it was a promise that the governor made, I think that suggests that this is a very controversial issue and it is tough it is. to get done yeah, because really there is. are so many people on all different sides of this and people pushing back so strongly for different reasons. This uh-huh. is heavy lifting here, right? This is not an easy thing to get done. No, it's not. And and you have the humanity part in it, like I, you, and then you have the fiscal part of it. Right. For those that, it, so it's it's really uh, it's really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it, but it's something that's going to have to be dealt with. I mean, it because, is. like I said, I mean, there's several aspects of it. The humanity is definitely one point. You know, we don't want uh, people or children just like, you know, dying in silence because they can't get help because they can't afford right. it. Right, right. And I would like to hear from people who say no to this, right? They don't believe that undocumented immigrants should get health insurance, provided by the state at least. If that's your stance, I would like to hear what is your proposal to deal with the situation, right? And that's important. And I think we all should be open to hearing different ideas and perspectives. People who have the perspective, you know, I would like to hear it. If, If you have an idea, what is it, right? What do you think we should do? Right. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's obviously a very complicated point. And a lot of people have have uh, different points of view. And a lot of those points of view have have merits in certain parts, you know, even if they're uncomfortable to hear. Absolutely. So. So speaking of uncomfortable, non-compete clauses. Right. Let's say you work (laughs) in a job. (laughs) (laughs) You work in a job and for whatever reason, you're about to lose the job and because of your contract, you're not able to go to a different job in the same field. And this is something that's very common in New York. We were dealing with this where they were even having it in fast food 
jobs, if you could believe it. Imagine working wow. a minimum wage job for McDonald's and then not being able to go work at Burger King. I mean, your options may be limited at that point as far as taking care of yourself. You're already struggling, right? And this is obviously making it worse. So there is pressure now to ban all non-compete clauses from contracts. And this started with the FTC, right? FTC, yes. The FTC uh-huh. is proposing to do it. And what they're proposing is actually pretty sweeping, right? They're trying to ban these non-compete clauses to the extent possible. However, there are certain areas in which they will not be able to do it. And there is pressure now on President Biden to say, okay, if the FTC is going to ban them, use other agencies to also ban them. For example, when it comes to airlines, the FTC cannot regulate that. But if you went to transportation, you know, then you can look at it that way. So if you can use all your different agencies and all the power of the executive branch to ban these non-compete clauses to the extent possible across all fields, they argue we would be in a better place. Of course, there are people who push back on that idea, right? They think that you have a right to contract and if people want to come up with these terms and agree to them and, and bind themselves to them, they should be able to. Why should more things be banned, right? We always hear that we have a right to do what we want to do. So there's this debate. Should non-compete clauses exist? Should they be banned altogether? Should there be some happy medium here? I'll say this really quickly. When I was in law school, we learned about how courts tend to frown upon these clauses. They will allow them, but under limited circumstances. They've been known to strike them down if they're too broad, right? And so you have to limit the scope of them. You have to limit the geographical area, and it's going to be dependent on the industry and the customs of whatever it is. But typically, they are allowed for short periods and for a pretty limited geographical area. If you were to say, you know, after leaving this company, you can't work in this field for the next 20 years anywhere on planet Earth, no court is going to allow that, right? But they do allow, in limited circumstances, the question now, should, should they be banned altogether? Right. And I'm not a fan of them. I understand why some companies might try to do it, because they try to prevent poaching and headhunting. Um, other companies taking their, their employees or prevent their trade secrets from going somewhere else. Um but I'm not a fan of them. I actually refused to sign one. I was presented with one out here in Japan. Um, and it was a, working for um, a language a language school. And so the non-complete cause, clause that they give that the, the teachers is that you can't work for basically a competitor um, for two years. Mm. Um, and it's like, that's first of all, that's completely ridiculous, um, right. especially since the, the unique position that foreigners coming to, to this country are in, especially English speaking foreigners. One of the main jobs, the easiest jobs that people can get that come from English speaking backgrounds is a language teacher because there's they don't have the, the Japanese language requirement necessary. Right. Because right. they want you to speak English. They want you to speak your native language. So you're taking away the earning potential uh, or the potential people to support themselves for two years after no longer working with your company. Now I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not signing that. And legally um, it's probably not an enforceable right. paper. I, was gonna mention, I don't know about the laws of Japan. So I don't know what's allowable there or not. I can only speak for here. 
You know, right. I, you know, I don't know. You would know, I guess, more than me about if that's enforceable even in Japan. But other question, not really. Okay, so, and that's the thing too. You, you know, even here, obviously, sometimes people sign these that are uh-huh. not enforceable, and the companies might know they're not enforceable, but they're banking on the employees not knowing that, right? right. So they're trying to bully them in a sense to sign something that they know is not even allowed. But I wanted to ask you, Jay, what happened? Did they allow you to take the job anyway, oh. even refusing to sign that? Uh-huh. I, I didn't sign it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't take it. Right, um, and because even labor law, we able to still work for them without said, signing. Said, I'm sorry. We able to still work for them without signing. Was, was that a condition? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's even because at the point at that time I was also um, still an executive officer at the union, mm-hmm. and um, it's like, look, one, it's you're there's there's part of the labor law says that people have the right to um, being able to seek employment to be able to to provide for themselves. And so this takes away that right. So it, it's a, mm-hmm. actually against labor law for one. Um, plus the fact that you're basically telling me that I wouldn't be able to work in the industry that is not only the industry that I have years of experience in, but is one of the main industries that myself and others like me can get into here without language or discrimination factors. Right. But so the thing uh, is, you got lucky in that regard. I think yeah. a lot of people don't have a choice and feel like they don't have a choice. And they think if they don't but, sign this, they're not going to get the job. But right. Mike, I didn't realize they still had, they had non-compete uh, clauses. Oh yeah. And is it in the fine print or is it? <laughs> I didn't there. realize that that's still I, had... I guess not everyone reads the contract, but right. no, it's there. T- yeah. That mine was a separate, mine was it, a right? separate addendum. Okay. Oh. Yeah, not everyone does it, but it is still very commonplace. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that was being true. done. Is that against the labor laws in, in this country or probably not? Or in well, it's against the spirit of that, right? But right. it is, as of now, enforceable in relatively narrow circumstances. Like I said, usually you'll see it for a few months, you know, right. once it goes mm-hmm. beyond like a year, maybe two years, depending on the circumstance, it starts to become more and more unenforceable. Right. And, and the, the, fl- the flip side of that or the, the detriments to that, um, not only does it restrict the, the worker, right? It also limits their income. So wow. if, if you're working in a job and a lot, of, a lot of recruiters and a lot of industry people today will say, don't stay in a job very long because it limits your income potential. Um, but say you're working in a job and you've been there three three years or something like that, and there are other jobs that you're qualified for that are paying higher than what you're currently getting because your raises aren't going to keep pace with whatever you know lifestyle increases or life increases are happening. And so you want to get another job. Well, if your non-compete clause says, well, you can't work in this industry for a year, you can't yeah. really take a year off of work to wait to be able to get a higher paying job. Right. So uh-huh. you get stuck. And that's what your skill set is. That's what your experience right. now is, right? right. That's, your, so that's your field. So you're forced right. to start all over basically in a different field and right. probably take less money, right? Let's say you've been working in this job for a while and you kind of worked your way up the ladder a little bit. Well, if you have right. to leave the field entirely, you start from scratch somewhere else. Right. And so it's very limiting. It's, and, and I think you said the word punitive um, in the pregame. It sounds very punitive in that way. It's like, right. you know, you're going to stay with us regardless. Well, you're not even giving them raises. And like, you know, it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work too well for people. Now, on the flip side, mm-hmm. I think 
we have to look at maybe the potential for certain industries and the potential for problems with revolving door issues, like officials in the FDA then leaving the FDA to go work as an executive in Monsanto. And yeah, but is that now, not compete though? Is the FDA competing? I mean, it's kind of it's different. not really competing, but it's it's in the same industry, and you're yeah. talking lobbying issues here. Like I, I think, think right. No, I understand what you're saying, but I think there might be different regulations that would cover that. Then there are, there aren't any because it happens all the time. But I think oh, if we're saying, but that would be addressed sort of, by by something else. Then right, if yeah. we're talking any right. sort any sort of restriction or any sort of flaws like that, I think it should more apply to something like that than yeah. it should for the everyday worker. Like if you're in a position, especially in governmental agencies, you shouldn't yeah, be able to that. just go to a, an, a, a, a private company that you were supposed to be regulating or vice versa, yeah. because there's there's right. issues there. Yeah, well, and then, yeah, but if I you look at that. it as strictly private companies, okay, Coke versus Pepsi, maybe Pepsi doesn't want you to take their trade secrets over to Coke or something like that, Right. But let's be honest, if you waited three months, you can still take those secrets three months later. So I don't right. think they're really achieving that particular effect. That just strikes me as more punitive or more where you can try to keep you here. Because if you're working right. at Pepsi and someone from Coke calls you and offers you a better job, you can't uh-huh. take it because you wouldn't be working for three months while you waited that period out. So I think right. that really strikes me just as controlling. Sure. I'm not really sure if it's achieving the positive effect that we think it might, which is keeping the secrets or keeping the confidentiality. I mean, if you're going to break it, you could break it, whether it's now or down the road. Right. And, and the thing is that, you know, people, a lot of people can't just take three months and go without working. And then that other job, they might not be able to wait for you to, to wait out your three months time because they need to fill that position now. So it's a, it's a punitive thing and it's a controlling measure. Sure. And And that's, and that's if it's only three months. Yeah. But here's also where I can understand some utility in it. If you don't want someone to work for you and build up not just skill set, but build up clients potentially, right? Build up actual, I don't know, um, tangible things that they can take with them to either, you know, let's say they, they start a new business or they work for a competitor. You know, you don't want someone work basically just using you to kind of just build up their ammunition to then go and compete with you the next day, right? Again, in theory, yeah, you could do it maybe three months later, but maybe there's that barrier where you're not just going to steal <laughs> your boss's clients and then start a whole new business tomorrow with them. And the, the boss, I think that- If you were to start a business three months later, those clients will still need, in theory, right? They might need somewhere to go for those three months. So it's like, you know, you're not, I don't know, but they, they could still come up with three months later also if you were that good, right? Yeah. And I think if, you know, if that's a concern of people like either leaving- uh, after getting the, the experience or taking clients, then maybe the employer should treat that employee better um, mm-hmm. compensation wise and whatnot so right. that they decide that they want to stay. But what if someone went in there with the intention of basically just ripping off the company and starting their own thing? I think a lot of, I wouldn't say ripping off, like it's getting experience. Like you're, you're no, no, getting. No, that's all wrong. I'm talking about like actually stealing stuff from them. Like oh, stealing- well, I think. I think like that, that goes more confidential information. I think that goes beyond a, a non-compete clause. Like now you're talking about like corporate espionage or something. No, I'm not like, talking about that. I'm talking about like basically just taking all the clients away and using all the information that you learned from them. But you know, confidential stuff maybe 
that was maybe it's proprietary, you know, whatever, like you, trade secrets, let's call them. Like you're going to take what? that and you're going to start your own company with that knowledge and with those actual people too, the connects that you've made, the clients, you're going to call the clients and poach them. I think, I think, not wanting that. I think contracts preventing you from divulging, um, you know, proprietary secrets and, you know, are you're very them. No, you're not divulging them, but you're learning them and then you're using them now to start your own. But can you prevent people from from using their experience? I don't think you not can. Experience, not just experience. Though. I'm talking about also contacts, clients, people. You know, like the whole you're taking the whole Rolodex, if you wish. I think you can prevent people from contacting your clients. I think there's you can have agreements that I think that's probably a, a more fair assessment. Mm -hmm. Like, look, you can leave and go to a competitor, but you can't take any of the clients you've signed up for it, with us. Right. Hard. It's kind of hard but to the clients, but the clients that. may not even go. That's a I, I see what Jay is saying. They, the clients, if you have a client, why would they leave you for someone right, else? Because let's say let's say you're working for a company and you're dealing with these particular clients on behalf of the company, mm -hmm. right? And the clients get to like you because you're dealing with them directly. So they they have their file with the main company but you're their agent or whatever. They're calling you. They're talking to you. They like you. They have a rapport with you. Then if you were to go and start your own company, it might be easy because you've been talking to them all along. They might not even know your boss. They sure. know you now. So to, to, hey, listen, I'm starting my own company. And by the way, I'm offering better rates or you know, whatever, right? It might be easy Absolutely. to get these clients in and start your own company. And it's going to be hard for a company to say, you know, these clients are not allowed to leave me and go work and go to you next. Right. But and then frowned upon. It's frowned upon, but it does it does happen. Happen, yeah, it happens, but it is kind of like frowned upon. I think. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion. Um, it it happens, and actually, what what you're talking about happens or has the possibility of happening in the uh, the language teaching industry out here, because in general, you'd say like, um, you know, teachers may get a certain wage, um, but the company bills the student at like $90 an hour, right? But right. they're not paying the teacher anywhere nah. near that. So right. then the teacher could be like, yeah, they're the ones that's teaching the student every week. And they could be like, you know what? Look, I'm going to start my own thing. Um, right. I'll charge you $60 an hour or $70. Let's cut out the middleman, right? Right. Uh, and you're going to save $20 an hour. Um, and you just come with me. We're going to continue our lessons the same way we've been doing it. No difference, but you're yeah. going to save money. Right. Or think about it even as a law firm, right? Like if I'm an attorney and now I'm hiring other attorneys to work for me and I'm assigning my clients files to these other attorneys at a right. certain point, one of those attorneys might be like, why am I cutting, splitting the money with Mike? I can just start my own practice. And I've been dealing with these clients now anyway for the past year. I'll talk to them and you know, maybe get them to change their case over to me, or maybe they'll call me for their future cases because they know me more now anyway. You know, I can right. see that. And and that, you know, and that happens. And that's not something sure. I'm saying needs to be against the law or always contracted against, but it is a valid consideration and a concern yeah. to have. Absolutely. More often than not. Say it again. Does that happen more often than not? Does it does it happen a lot? It does um, happen a lot. I don't know if it's more often than that. I think the more people that you hire, the more you're increasing the likelihood of that happening. And maybe in some respects, it's just the cost of doing business, right? I think it is inevitable yeah, that something true, like that yeah. will happen eventually. But if yeah. it is happening to you, maybe you're in a good spot. 
maybe not always, but, you know, maybe it's indicative of the fact that you're doing well. And if people are taking your clients, maybe that means you have enough to take. Not that you're going to like it, but, you know, maybe (laughs) there's a middle ground. Maybe there's a middle ground in there um, versus absolutely no non-compete clause and a complete compete compete clause um, where in those cases you you can go work in the industry work for competitors or whoever however you can't work with clients that you bring in to our company for a year or two years or whatever you know right right so you brought them into the company they're the company's clients they're not your clients you can't take them with you if if a year or two years just not with these people right yeah because they're they're ones that you brought in and they're in here you brought in them with our resources our name our everything so they're they're our clients you can go work for them and then if in a year or two they decide they want to come come over to you then that's different but you know you can't walk away with like 40 of our clients in in one go like it's not right but do you realize also the awkwardness of that in a sense, because really what you're doing is telling those clients that they can't go to that profession. Right. 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 So you're, you're really trying to limit their ability to contract and they weren't the ones who even entered into that contract in the first place. Right. You know, so, so you do have some issues there too. Absolutely. So I guess we've got a poll question out of this. Yeah. So did we come up with a good phrasing for it? Or are we just going balls to the wall and saying, do you want to ban all non-compete clauses? You can go ahead and throw balls at the wall. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, in that case, then, poll question of the week is, do you believe that non-compete clauses should be universally banned? Yeah, we'll see what people people think about that there. Mm. I do yeah. think... Though fundamentally, we need to be doing all we can to make it easier for people to get work, right? Um, Absolutely. Try not to restrict their ability to do so. so. Absolutely. That is something that I consider and, and, and give a lot of weight to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when, you know, first of all, their, their freedoms themselves. Second of all, how difficult it is to get work in the first place. Right. Um, how expensive cost of living is. People should be able to get work as is limit free as possible right right no strings attached <laughs> yeah so you know you don't want to have one job be the reason why you can't get another job after that right unless you screwed up at that job <laughs> well then you should have a chance to, <laughs> to screw up at a different job right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just right. That one. absolutely so i think we had an interesting list of topics this week very yes. good as always. Yes. So, Mike, what is the bottom line Oh boy, for this week? Let's see. How do we put all that together? Starting with being sore from working out and ending with non-compete clauses. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Due diligence. You, know you know what it is? Let, let's, let's, let's do it like this. What was the other topic in between? The, um, oh, the health insurance? Okay. Due diligence, the lawyer with chat due, GPT. Due diligence. All right. I'm going to say it like this then. <laughs> if you're going to do something, do it and stick with it, right? That applies to whatever you do. And you should be given the freedom and the ability to do that. Whatever your craft is, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a personal interest, whatever it is, people should be given the ability to pursue that 
unrestricted to the extent possible, which means we shouldn't be getting in their way. You know, we should encourage enterprise and encourage people exploring what they want to explore, doing what they want to do. And as long as they're not harming others, let them do it. Let them go explore that. And I think we're all better off for it instead of trying to get in people's way, thinking that their benefit is always to our detriment. Let's look at it in a collective sense and think that when others are doing well, it makes us all prosper. I think that was excellent. It was very well said. And it's a point that should be very well taken. I tried to tie all the themes together into one little speech there. I don't think you did it on the spot. And so you got it. Okay. Freestyle off, off the top of the dome. You got it. All right, cool. Yeah. yeah. And so and uh, people check us out. I'm sorry. That is the bottom line. That is the bottom <laughs> line. And if you want to participate or comment on the bottom line and any of the things we talked about today, go to YouTube channel at Nuance Show and leave your comments under the videos. Same with uh, Instagram. Go there, connect with us. And if you um, do podcasts, Check out podcasts everywhere they are, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, even YouTube podcasts. Uh, we're on there now, so Nuance Show, so check it out. Yes, as always, thank you all for joining us. Jay, Sheba, everyone in the chat, wherever you're catching this, we've got work to do, and we'll catch you next time.